Patrick and Tom thought they had escaped the hell of Amityville, but another franchise has gotten its hooks into them. The Amityville Podcast Goes to Hell. Welcome back to the Amityville Horror Podcast. I am Tom. I'm Pat. And this week we're continuing our journey into the inferno of Hellraiser with Hellraiser Part 6, Hell Seeker. We're just going to put hell in front of words and see if it sounds yeah. cool. Because, like, Hellraiser, that's a term I had heard. Yeah, yeah. And, in fact, uh, that was what uh, Al, uh, DC Comics wanted to call the Constantine book. It was going to be John Constantine colon Hellraiser. But the uh, Hellraiser movie had just come out and was very popular, so they were worried about people being confused about the properties, which would have been legitimate, you know, called and everything. So they came up with the equally catchy and totally well-known and an actual thing, Hellblazer. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, that's the jacket you wear if you go to a satanic high school. The hell You wear blazer. your hell tie, mm-hmm. your hell uh, dress shirt, your hell khakis, and your yeah. hell blazer. And your hell blazer. It, it's, I, I kind of am bummed that they took off the hell blazer subtitle on the books uh, over, like, ever since the New 52. Because it's like, it had been around long enough that it actually did become a, its own thing. Oh, yeah. No, it's very, very specifically identified with John Constantine. Yeah. Honestly, God, like whenever like somebody like I, I go to recommend the comic or I'm looking for it, I always look under H first because Hellblazer, yeah. John Constantine. Yeah. Because yeah. Now none of yeah. that has anything to do with this. This is uh, this came out and this is our second Directivity release in 2002 and the first of three movies directed Hellraiser movies directed by Rick Boda. In a row. He becomes the only guy that's ever not only directed two Hellraisers, multiple Hellraisers, but three. Yeah. In a row. Yeah, because there has not been a consistent director yet. No. All right. No. Because Hellraiser. He does a lot of TV now. Uh, I think the last real movie he did was Hell World, which will be coming soon. Mm-hmm. But prior to the Hellraisers, uh, he, he was mainly like a other, he was a tech guy. Like, uh, let's see here, he was a camera operator, cinematographer, stuff like that. All right, so hopefully good looking movies at least. I mean... If it was, if he, if he came I up through the ranks he... of visual, yeah, you know... Like, if you have somebody that comes from editing, they might not know lighting. Or sure. if you have writer-directors, a lot of times don't necessarily know the tech side of things. Mm. Um, Actor-directors usually have been on set enough to be aware of the crew, but might not necessarily have a visual take on things. Yeah. I don't know. It's all over the place. But if you're coming up through cinematography or effects, I feel like you're going to make a pretty movie. Mm. I've only seen this one once. I don't remember it looking good. So he might not. So it might have been that he couldn't get work as a cinematographer, so he stepped into directing. It could be that. Um, this is uh, Doug Bradley is returning as Pinhead, of course, but this is the first time, first uh, appearance of Ashley Lawrence as Kirsty Cotton mm-hmm. uh, since uh, her cameo in Part Three, and to date is will be her last is her last appearance okay. in the series. Which I mean, you can't blame her. Yeah. It's like you can only appear in the series so many times before you just get killed. Oh, does she though? Maybe. Oh my goodness gracious! I know. This uh, is also okay. So it, it, it depend depending on if we believe Scott Derrickson with Inferno, this is either the first or second retooled uh, pre-existing script that like uh, Dimension owned because this one is definitely was something else and then they're like just put demons in it yeah this was originally just called Debtor right no no this was Hellseeker the next one is Debtor I thought that for some reason in my head I've had it as one of those like completely confusing tumbleweeds of a title sort of like how Scream was originally titled Scary Movie yeah. and then became Scream so Scary Movie became the parody title that's fine I feel like it's I thought it was one of those for some anyway yeah. I'm wrong no next one's Deader uh, 
This one, this uh, they had commissioned an, an original script for this one, and a guy wrote out a whole thing. I was reading up on the IMDb trivia that uh, it was a whole thing. That's where the title Hell Seeker comes from, and it involved computer games and hackers and trying to make the uh, the lament configuration global through the internet somehow. Gotcha. Which is nothing related to Hellworld later. Evil does not go online in Hellworld. It's not a fear.com situation. No, it is not. It is one of the most misleading posters and taglines in movie history. It's not Lawnmower Man 2, Job's War. I mean, was it not Job's War? Well, I mean, Hellraiser 8. Was it not? I'm saying, like, the whole bringing hell to online. I'm sorry. Okay, I'm, I, I, I have tracks apparently somewhere. Um, I thought yeah. I was following things, and I'm somewhere in the woods. That's okay. We'll yeah. get there. This one, yeah, I've only watched it once. I don't remember loving it because I've only watched it once, and I've watched Hell World, like, three or four times. I really like Hell World, which mm-hmm. makes me the one. Uh, and we're not there yet. No, we're not there yet, and we're not skipping ahead. Uh, this does star uh, Dean Winters as our leading man, ah, yeah, which, right. uh, it's kind of like a Jack Nicholson playing Jack Torrance thing, where it's like, you know, you want us to be able to sympathize with this guy, or at least imagine that he's not going to be a horrific monster by the end of this film, right? I'm getting the sense he is. I mean, it's Dean Winters. The nicest person, the character he's ever played was... Uh, Actually, no, he was on SVU as a cop for a minute, but I, I was, oh, was going to say... was he a good cop? Ah, I would assume not. Uh, but I, I was going to say uh, Dennis on uh, 30 Rock. And he's not exactly... He's a terrible human being on 30 Rock. Yeah, yeah. He's just not a murderer as compared to, like, his other roles. Right, but he is still very clearly the bad option. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and for, you know, frame of reference, Dean Winters is more well-known now as the mayhem guy in the progressive insurance ads. Right. Like, protect yourself from mayhem, like me. And he's perfect. <laughs> Did Have you seen the new mayhem ad for the, uh, that was for March Madness? No. It's him playing another gentleman in one-on-one uh, in a driveway and that, you know, keeps getting rougher and rougher until the other guy pulls down his own, uh, backboard and like screws up his garage and as uh dean winters is walking away the guy says thanks bro and it was in fact scott winters that he was playing because dean winters has a brother scott williams they played the o'reilly brothers on uh oz and uh scott williams is more famous for being the other guy in goodwill hunting the guy that you right. know does not get many drops. yeah the one who it has an opinion of apples we never quite get. I mean, it, the question is asked, but he never responds. Right, which is a bummer. I mean, for me, that's more of that lost in translation moment. What did he? What you know? What was whispered in the ear? I want to know. Apple opinion. Fair. It's, you, you just can't leave this hanging. I guess. I think Lost in Translation is the most uh, overrated movie I've ever seen in my entire life. I can't call it the most overrated because I feel like that in itself is overrating. That's fair. But... I think that movie is just monumentally boring. It's not engaging. People love that movie. Yes. Love And there are movies that I love that I know that people check out on entirely, so... That movie won an Academy Award for Best Screenplay. I have opinions that I promise not to make during this set, during the entire Hellraiser uh, run of things. I'm just saying, if Bill Murray said any line in that movie that was scripted, I will eat my hat. And you don't even wear hats, so you would have to go out buy a hat. I have hats. I, have, I, wear, you don't have hats. I wear hats all the time. I wouldn't eat that one. What are you talking about? Well, I don't know. It just looks a little chewy. That's fair. But anyway, so Hellseeker. We're doing it again. We're doing more Hellraiser. Because Hellraiser keeps making money. Or at the very least, enough money to keep making direct-to-video movies. Yep. Yeah. All right. All right. We'll see. <laughs> Let's seek some help. <laughs> we'll see you in a minute.
that was enervating. <sighs> that was... It's... So that wasn't written to be a Hellraiser movie. No, oddly enough. What, was... with only the five minutes total of Cenobites? We've had less. <sighs> Maybe? I think... Maybe Hellraiser is not the word I should have thrown in that says, so that was written to be a movie? For real. This this is going to be tricky to talk about, gentle listeners, because, you know, there are certain movies, without being too specific about spoilers for other movies, there are certain movies that can be called a Jacob's Ladder situation. Correct. Of which this is one. However, in order to do this successfully, you have to at least establish in the beginning like a baseline of reality to compare when things go perfluey. Well, like the last one we watched, um, this guy found this way into the world of Hellraiser through this box and through some clues and whatnot. And through the course of it, we realized that things are a little bit weird and wonky. And it turns out that a lot of the stuff he has been seeing, uh, he is already in the situation. He's already... He's already in hell. He's already dead and in hell, and he's being tortured, and this is a punishment for the kind of asshole he was. Yes. So, having done that, what better way to follow up the franchise with the next entry being that? But poorly done. Right. But literally, hey, remember when they had the twist ending for the last one? If we do it again, they won't expect the same thing twice. That is true, though. <laughs> But no, the second we're hinted at, oh, is this the same thing twice? It's in our brains because we've seen it. Yeah, it's pretty obvious right from Mm -hmm. the get-go that Trevor, our purported hero played by Dean Winters, is just not in reality anymore. And something is going on with him because literally every two minutes, everything about everything changes Mm -hmm. and we're confused and horrified with Trevor. So, I mean, in that sense... Rick Boda and company succeeded in putting us in the mindset of our main character. But if you're building the movie around the concept of what's terrifying is having the rug pulled out from under you, yeah, you, I don't want to watch an hour and a half long Jamiroquai video. Don't, don't. I wouldn't want little, an hour and a half Jamiroquai video. <laughs> I actually would like that, but having that as the concept of, yeah. it's, it's the only gag. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's it's done a hundred different ways. Well, that's generous. Yeah. Yeah. But literally all the movie does the entire time is say, so you thought this, just kidding. No, wait, uh uh-uh, but hold on. Are they in on? No, this is, like, it has no logic. No. Which which makes it have no energy, which makes it have no bearing. Yeah, there's no stakes. There's no stakes, exactly. Yeah, if we assume that he's already dead, Mm -hmm. or he's in hell, then we have to assume that everybody outside of that is back in the real world and safe. If we even care about that. If we even care about that. Yeah, which, you know, this guy is just, this is his life now. Mm -hmm. The only character that we know outside of him that we would have any tether to is the character we've had from previous movies, who at the beginning of the movie we're told is dead. Yeah. And then five minutes later are told is missing. missing. Are you confused, listeners? We were too. Mm -hmm. So the film begins with Trevor and his wife, Kirsty Cotton, mm-hmm. or, or Kirsty Gooden, I guess, I guess now, would yeah. be is her married name, uh, having an argument in a car. The car loses control. Well, they were getting along in the car, and they were kissing. They, they were, were doing, getting along in the car. Because they were okay. doing kissing like nobody did, actually kisses. Yeah. I mean, that's every movie, though. This was particularly weird. Fair. It was... It looks like a bird at a feeder. Yeah. But, so, the car loses control, goes off a bridge into the river, Trevor tries to get Kirsty out, and uh, fails, and then he wakes up in a hospital. Yeah. And from that point on, everything is just wacko bananas. Yeah. Now, when we say he tries to get her out, he gets up to the surface, swims back down, and punches the door handle several times. This is one of those... Uh, kind where you just curl your fingers underneath and 
lift. Yeah. Uh, he's instead punching it straight on, which is not a way doors work. No. None I've ever seen in my life. Well, probably. Well, they might exist. I'm just saying I've never met. I've never found a door where it's knob or handle. You punch it to get it to delatch. I, I used to ride a lot of Mark and Amtrak trains. Oh. The doors between the, the doors between the cars, you would push a button, or that was either you know at like shoulder height, or uh, for shorter people was you could kick it. So it was that. It's only because I actually remember a door that you okay. could punch or kick no, that would open. I, this I, is, this is something I've never experienced, so I will accept yeah. it. Maybe <laughs> in his confusion underwater after the accident, Did he was I, a little bit thrown off. Were we on our train or in our car? Yeah, <laughs> I mean he is that confused the whole movie because yeah. when people when he goes to work the next day well for, first we have like uh, a, a bunch of people uh, like the doctors and detective lang uh talking to him in the hospital as if you know hey weird car accident right and uh as opposed to Wow, you had a horrific trauma for yourself, let alone your wife is dead. That's weird. Yeah, be and bad. or missing. Well, we'll get to the missing. Well, because they're saying your wife is dead before they realize that she's missing, which yeah. means the cops didn't realize until later that day that, oh, there wasn't actually a body there. I guess that's missing, technically. Like, how did they make the mistake between dead and missing? I think they were expecting to find the body in the water. And so, and then later they, they give it a day and they can't find the body in the water. So, okay, now it's missing. I still feel like technically if you're filling out paperwork as a police officer, you would not say dead right off the bat if the body's missing. That's fair. Missing, pres- I, missing presumed dead. Exactly. That is a well-known phrase yeah. that could have been used. Yes. Um, but in, before, but actually, in, between, before, in, oh. in the middle of all of this... Trevor wakes up having open brain surgery uh-huh. for a minute, and then that's never picked up again. Yeah. Uh, while he's having the brain surgery, um, the doctor is narrating something, and it sounds like it's being spoken through one of those old Mr. Microphones. It's basically mm-hmm. just a plastic tube with a spring in it. Yeah. Yeah. That's the that's the level of uh, audio manipulation they're throwing on that. It was like, maybe it's a reference to Dr. Chenard. And Hellraiser 2. Excuse me. Hellbound Hellraiser 2. Maybe, but he didn't sound like a Mr. Microphone. No. It sounded really bad. Well, yeah. No, no. Obviously. There there, there are technical issues with this entire movie. I was just thinking, you know, it's like a uh, pompous brain surgeon guy talking while he's cutting okay. open. Maybe. All right. Sure. But probably not, because, again, this was not meant to be a Hellraiser movie. This was not intended to be a Hellraiser movie. But so, Trevor wakes up from that and is still in the hospital. And, you know, uh, does he go to the the police station first? Or does he go to work first? Um, He finds out the doors were open on the car, which he was surprised about. He doesn't seem upset. Uh, He goes to his apartment. Yeah. Which I have underlined his. Okay, because so he went to the police not, detectives first. Yeah, he went to the detectives. Then he um, he did not seem as upset as one would think. Yeah. But then he goes back to, again, his apartment because it doesn't look like a couple lives there. No, it's like it's it's one big room, like with the kitchen and the living room sharing the same space. Mm-hmm. It's got the worst paint job ever nothing is clean there are dishes everywhere and like the detective and the do- the doctors act like he got injured a while ago like the yeah. the doctor accuses him of coming back for pain medication just yeah. for shits and giggles so we have no timeline for this movie at all yeah it could be a day it could be an hour it could be a year um and i think that's Intentionally trying to make you feel like everything yeah. is a blah, 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 dream logic. Except that you're not telling us that it's dream logic yet. Try and pretend like we're in the real world before you start breaking the dream logic. You're not hinting things. You're just spoiling your ending at the beginning. Exactly. you got to establish the baseline. Yeah. The only sign that Kirstie lived in that apartment or was friends with a guy is that there's a small, like, Wallet-sized photo, but in a frame, mm-hmm. on one of the nightstands. At that point. Later, they show her clothes in his closet. 
Oh, gotcha. Yeah. So she may have stayed over a couple times. Yes. Yeah. His wife. Yeah. Or he, like, this was a while ago, and these are the things that she, he kept. Because we don't know. Because we don't know anything about this movie. Uh, but then he goes to work at Cubic Actuarial Research and something. Which, mm-hmm. Cubic. Uh-huh. I love it. I love it. And he's got this one friend. I say friend. Brett is his co-worker and he's perpetually getting in Trevor's face and I just wanted to punch him every time he showed up. Mm -hmm. And then there's also Gwen, who is his manager? Yes, he said it was a manager and who they are having a torrid affair? Maybe? Yeah, sort of, kind of. Like, she definitely comes on to him really hot and hard and heavy at the snack machine, except he's not into it because, as far as he knows, his wife died yesterday. Or a year ago. Or a year ago. But he he seems to still be feeling like it's yesterday, except for the lack of remorse. He went to work. He went to work. Like, the next day. Yeah. He says repeatedly, I'm still grieving. I just lost my wife. So I don't feel like it's supposed to be that long, except that he says that and still does wind up hooking up a couple times. Yeah. Um, he's He doesn't push back hard when he's approached. No. Um, but yeah, he's uh, there's a whole thing with video cameras through the whole movie. They keep mentioning, yeah. Yeah, and like there's video cameras in every room of the office building and that catches him and the boss making out that's then playing on a loop at his desk that nobody else sees and it's never mentioned again. Yep. Because there's there are a lot of things that are just never mentioned again. Yeah. Uh, and so and I, you're going to have to bear with us because it does jumble together because it's basically Trevor ends up going between four locations his work, his apartment the detective's uh, the police station, rather, his acupuncturist, and the bus. Okay, five locations. Five locations, five locations. yeah. And occasionally um, we pop back to the whole river, and, like the car and river. Yeah. But that's not really – he doesn't go back there that much. No, no The movie no. does. And, every, like, each place has a different annoying filter mm-hmm. for some reason. And this is not including the flashbacks, which have an even more mm-hmm. dried-out blue filter to it. Yeah, this strikes me as very early in the days of digital color correction. Yeah. And, God, look at all the things we can do. We're going to make it look like kind of nighttime and noirish by putting a blue filter on, but not accounting for things that shouldn't. So everybody's got weird pinkish-purple lips. Yeah. Like, they did makeup and everything else for normal look. And, God, it it just absolutely butchers. Yeah. And like the, the the buses for some reason green. I mean, they they did everything short of putting like sepia tone or just like old timey western photograph filter on this thing. Uh, see, those are at least consistent. Like those are usually timed towards the effect. Yeah. This was put make more blue. Yeah, it was just let's take the blue curve and pull it. Let's not do like let's just like hit the highlights, but make sure to balance. It was not color correction. It was blue filter. <laughs> as an as a comparison, the scene in, in the Mouth of Madness where they're on the bus <laughs> and everything <laughs> turns blue, it still looks natural. Yeah. I mean, it looks unnatural for the effect of the scene, yeah. but it's still in a frame looks natural and not blown out blotchy yeah. and just terrible. And that was made six years before this, so. Well, also, John Carpenter is good. Right. <laughs> and it was, that was Dean Cundy, right? Uh, I don't know. I, I forget who. Yeah. I don't know if I knew who the cinematographer was. I'll gotcha. Yeah. I don't know if he was still with Cundy by Mouth of Madness. But anyway, mm-hmm. yeah, it was Carpenter. He knows what he's doing. Yeah. So, uh, at work, Trevor finds a card that looks familiar, like a little business card that's pinned to his bulletin board saying, all problems solved. And he sort of remembers meeting up with a dude who looks suspiciously like Doug Bradley, but has an American accent, so it couldn't be Doug Bradley. And uh, he buys the the, hel- the lament configuration from him to present to Kirsty as an anniversary present we will find out later in a uh, home movie that goes goes in a different direction than we would have thought 
It's like, oh, happy anniversary and everything. It's like, oh, you got me a gift. She opens it up. No. Mm-hmm. And we don't even, at first, yeah, we're, it's a little confusing because I didn't, I couldn't tell how open she had the gift, but in his memory, she was excited about the box. Uh, before, uh, before she unwrapped it. Okay, for some she, reason I thought excited. she had seen what it was in, no, no, no. She's in his false memory. I was like, well, that smells like more bullshit. Yeah, no, she's excited and then she unwraps it and then, you know, she's less excited. But this is all intercutting with uh, uh, Trevor's girl or uh, neighbor lady trying to have sex with him and also Gwen, the manager, showing up. And interspersed with all of this are just like random noises and or lighting cues and or just yeah, like that weirdos stock in the background. Noise, yeah, just yeah. Thro- throwing Trevor off and or changing the viewpoint of everything. Uh, not to any real narrative effect because again, yeah. if you just keep doing it every mm-hmm. three minutes. He just bounces between locations. People say they're still suspicious of him. Things don't add up. Um, I've got my eye on you. You're screwing up. Um, it's just repeat ad nauseum. Yeah. We have, like, uh, Detective Lang seems to be on Trevor's side, but his partner, Detective Gibbons, is not. Mm-hmm. But... I mean, they don't really play that up as, like, a good cop, bad cop thing, because, no. like, Lang will ask questions and get annoyed when he's not getting answered to a normal yeah. amount. You take every character and every conversation, and it's basically like playing a game of Yahtzee. Of, it's the same exact components for every single scene. Mm. You just have to shake them up and see who's assigned what. Yeah, scene to scene. And you, you'll notice we're not mentioning Pinhead or any other Cenobites, because there aren't any. Because they really, like, the first time we get a glimpse of any of the Cenobites is uh, Gwen has shown up at Trevor's house to have sexy video camera sex. Trevor pushes her off because my wife is something. Missing and or dead, but they're looking and video evidence of me having an affair. Probably bad. This is us saying this. This is not actually said in the movie. Yeah. Also, I have, like, recurring headaches and hallucinations, and everybody keeps letting me uh, go about my business. (laughs) So... While uh, after he pushes Gwen away, he looks at the live feed on the television set. The television is hooked up to the camera. And where they were in a chair, uh, they still are and are still going at it. And he is confused by this because, you know, he's not actually sitting there. And then it turns into Cenobites choking the life out of Gwen. Yep. Like uh, suffocating her with a plastic bag. Yeah, yeah they basically they have a bag, like a thick you know, clear plastic wrapped around her face as she's screaming bloody murder. Yeah. She's screaming for an extended amount of time as she's being suffocated. Clear as day. And also she has the Martin Lawrence bad boys problem of how could I possibly get this plastic bag away from my mouth and clear my airway? Yeah. She's just perpetually like mm-hmm. trying to claw at the person strangling her. Instead of just ripping at the mouth. Poking a hole. Poke a hole in the mouth. But no, her airway is very completely bro- uh, blocked the entire time she's screaming. Yeah. And then Trevor coughs up an eel. Right. Poltergeist too. I have it in my notes. Yeah. At some point. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Uh, Trevor starts going to an acupuncturist that has a lot of, like, large blocks of ice that she breaks up with an with, with a uh, an ice pick. But we never see her do anything with the ice. No, no, she just likes to break ice every so often. Yeah, and then seduce her acupuncture customer, who's got a whole bunch of pins sticking out of his chest until they start hooking up, and they're just like she's on top. She's laying on top of his chest, like chest to chest where there were all these needles a second ago yeah is it a dream or is it a continuity error doesn't matter <laughs> I feel like that's a major through line of this movie yeah it really doesn't matter yeah cause uh, um, like we oh, don't oh. even build like we don't even have like the detectives building up evidence against him we mm-hmm. have like uh, they oh. just are all suspicious because they know his wife is missing mm-hmm. and he must know something they interrogate the guy who was in the car with the wife 
who swam out of the car and couldn't rescue her and so therefore believes he has a dead wife they're hounding him for more evidence and raising Arizona why are you all asking standing here in my living room asking me about like, about my son in the one place I know he ain't so good. it's this is the guy who wants his wife back as far as we know it's the guy who thinks that she's dead and that he saw her drown so if he doesn't know she was missing I don't know it just seems like maybe he is a suspect maybe he is covering things up but they're not pursuing any leads other than the one that's probably not likely here Maybe. I mean, it's always the boyfriend or the husband, but at the same time... They are literally not pursuing any other leads. No, and this has either been going on for a day or the better part of a year. Yeah, and these are cops that are, like, showing up at work and or not, sitting in his cubicle and or not, showing up at his house and or not, showing up at the acupuncturist's and or not. (laughs) Um, Well, this is after the acupuncturist was murdered, not by Trevor. No. But Trevor does, like, (laughs) Trevor is being chased by Cenobites, and so the only weapon available is the ice pick that is jammed into the acupuncturist's head. He pulls it out, gets all, like, blood all over him, and then it turns out it's the police. Uh-huh. The police who, much like Trevor, have trouble with doors because they're trying to open the door to the acupuncturist's office. And it's a lot like the Raptors trying to get in the kitchen in Jurassic Park. Yeah. But then or they Elijah unlock. Scuggs with buttery hands. Yes. But then they unlock the door. Yeah. Was it even an unlock situation? I yeah, really... you, you see the dead pole. Oh, okay. So they found the key? Apparently. Oh, Jesus Christ, it's worse than I thought. Yeah, and, uh, like, and there's no there's no tension being built up. Like, no, Trevor when you see him conf- grab the ice pick and pull it out of her head, you know exactly who's at the door. Yeah, yeah, No, I'm just talking about in the movie in general. Like, you could play up that Trevor, Trevor is going progressively more insane or being more scared by everything, but they don't do that. You can play up that the detectives are looking at him and nobody else, and so that's making him panic. They don't do that. No. And then uh, we get just Pinhead doing a summation at the end of the movie. Like, I mean, yeah. is there any? Oh, there's the janitor. There, there's, there's the janitor. The janitor. There's also the, um, uh, so who was this Gwen character? Like, or no, he's like, do you know Gwen such and such? He's like, oh, she was my boss. Like, he offers she was my boss with nobody in the movie having said that she's dead. Yeah. We find out she's dead because the cops ask him about her and he says she was my boss. Yeah. But there was no announcement saying that she had died or how. There was no scenes showing that she might be dead. No. We weren't like, yeah, we weren't even shown like half footage of whatever. Yeah, it, 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 it's bad on every single level. Like ter- yeah. like storytelling, mm-hmm. dialogue, script, and yeah. technical. And so the janitor, and then I've got another. Yeah, there's a great bit. Like he keeps Trevor keeps talking to this one doctor, Doctor Dormier. Uh, I was I was gonna go Doctor Dormier. Oh, Doctor Sleep. Doctor, is this a dream? So he's talking to her in in a hallway. He he goes. He, he's told that she halfway through, or no, two thirds of the way through the movie. There is she. He's told that there's never been a Doctor Dormier at this hospital, and so he goes to her office, which we've seen him go to before, and it's an empty room with a janitor have uh, smoke, uh, having a cigarette in between mm-hmm. everything. He's like, let me just have I, one more. I got one more drag, and then I'm done. Yeah. And I will say that that janitor smokes in that room because of all the ash, uh, all the butts on the floor. Yeah, that janitor has never cleaned that room. No, he's terrible. This is at his job. Yeah, he's amazing in this movie. If you want people to not find your secret smoking spot, do the thing they got you doing. I don't think. I mean, while you're at it, I don't think they're washing their hands in this hospital, let alone the floor. True, Um, the geography or whatnot topography, I guess, of the hospital and/or the police station, because Mm. sometimes they kind of seem like the same building. Yes, um, is absolutely nuts. The morgue is in the, like, deep, deep sub-basement of the police station, past the mental home in the police station, where people are tortured and are getting electroshock therapy. 
And being uh, water tortured, I believe, in one room. Could be. Uh, there was dripping. There was dripping. It was either it was piss or water torture. But yeah, but yeah they're, they're torturing mental patients uh, on the way to the morgue. No elevator to the morgue, despite how bodies are usually, like, you know, gurneyed. Yeah. Um, all of it filthy. And there's that giant hallway cage halfway to the morgue that the cop locks. Trevor. Yeah. He he get, lets Trevor get on the other side, locks this hallway cage door, and basically is like the journey's yours from here on out, kind of sort of thing. Before and, sprouting two heads, yeah. Before sprouting the second head, because it turns out Detective Lang and De- Detective Gibbon are the same body but with two heads, because they they could have played up that one keeps you know disappearing and the other magically appears without us noticing, but they didn't do that yeah, either. That was just a two-headed cop. It was just a two-headed cop. So, uh, meanwhile, but back in the hospital, uh, so Trevor tries to open up Dr. Dormier's office, finds a janitor, but then Dr. Dormier's in the hallway, and he's talking to her, and they're having like this big, really pointed uh, conversation about everything that's been happening, and it keeps cutting back to the janitor watching the conversation, and at first, it just reads like, wow, that is a lot of crazy shit you're going through, man. Mm-hmm. That's insane. But then it turns out he's uh, there is no Dr. Demir, and Trevor is just talking to thin air, and he's like, who are you talking to? Yeah, but like, for that brief moment, <laughs> this that was, was the funniest thing we'd ever seen. Yeah, because this moment, this moment has happened in plenty of other things. That's it's not a new yeah. idea. Like the best, it's the performance exactly. Like the janitor, literally just just the hell are you talking to like like he didn't know he was in a movie. Yeah, it was great. It was. This is like uh, that. The the best part of analyze this when. Uh, Robert De Niro is telling Billy Crystal one of his dreams, and then you hear, like, the lead uh, sidekick goon go, that's fucking weird. He's like, Jimmy, I told you to wait in the car! That's fucking weird. But yeah, so... None of this matters. No. At all. There's bus trips, there's ambulance, there's... um then what? An arbitrary note I found in the middle. Uh-huh. Uh, when they cut to the police station at one point to establish it's a police station, the shot opens behind a water cooler as a bubble of air comes up from it, and then it lifts up and shows you the rest of the scene. Let's be done with that shot. That's fair. I'm done. It's just, yeah, we're good. Yeah, I, I don't get it. It's... It's a water cooler. It's a water cooler. Oh, you're in an office-type situation. Amazing. It's great. You, 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 is this production value for you? Let's... No. no. So, in the morgue, which Detective Two had, had led uh, Trevor to, he finds... Uh, he's supposed to identify a body that was pulled from the river, which may or may not be Kirsty Cotton. Uh, and or if, maybe Matt Foley, motivational speaker. Or it could be Matt Foley, motivational speaker, who famously lives in a van down by the river. Yeah. Uh Pinhead says, no, 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 we have to do the wrap-up before you see who's underneath the sheet. Trevor says, no, I want to I want to see my wife. And then Pinhead hook, uh, sends all the chains and the hooks, which may have been uh, Clive Barker's idea. Apparently, Rick Boda, against the producer's wishes, showed Clive a work print of the movie, and he said the third act needs more gore. Okay. Which uh, may have... Interrupted or changed Doug's writing because apparently Doug Bradley wrote the ending and or the whole summation of everything because he wrote all of his dialogue for the film apparently, and so this the this, the IMDb trivia makes it sound kind of wonky. But so as it turns out, that the guy that sold. Trevor, the box in the middle of the movie was actually Pinhead, who was able to walk around in the real world for some reason. Yeah, he's always maybe possibly been the what is your pleasure guy. Could have been. Uh, he give, he wanted Trevor to give the box to Kirsty because he still just wants Kirsty. Even though it was the deal was done, it was a deal. It was a fair ups. Like, he reneged on that deal. Well, he did, but I'm saying, like, he's for somebody who's supposed to be law and order, that's yeah. that, that's out of character. That's fair. But at the same time, man, you just get hung up on something. Pardon the expression. Pardon the expression. And so it worked 
Kirsty ends up back in hell, and we see the obligatory, you know, here are some new Cenobite designs. Well, also, husband gives her the box, and she says, what the fuck, dude? Basically, yeah. like, no, 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 no. Oh, fine. You think this is cool? Here, let me show you. Instead of saying, I know that no good will come of this, so let's just have a different conversation without the box. Remember when I said or I noted that the movie kind of appeared to be operating on porn movie rules. Right. So this is like those times when, you know, a guy is trying to force himself on somebody in like a porno. And then the girl goes, Oh, I'll show you. And then like r- roughly has sex with him as revenge. Okay. Oh no. It makes no sense. Yeah. I'm just saying maybe that's what they were thinking. I don't know. Probably not. Um, I just don't think they know how people work. Yes. Uh, but so, Kirsty uh, is catching up with Pinhead and the obligatory new. Exactly. And uh, before uh, Pinhead goes to get his due from Kirsty, which he spends five minutes explaining. I just want you. I'm tired of all this bullshit. I need to finish this. Mm-hmm. She says, hold on. Counter offer. I get you five other people. Yeah. And Pinhead just goes for it. Yeah. Five is more than one. Five is more Even than one. Even if it's five arguably corrupt souls for that one innocent soul. Yeah, I don't know that Kirstie was ever innocent. innocent. Definitely no, by the end, the, by the end of the second one, she's definitely not innocent. No, it just like we wanted to bring somebody back, so we bring somebody back, and it's not really the core of the story. This is late late model Halloween. It's Michael versus Lori, really at the key of it, uh-huh. but. When you did, like, that one Texas Chainsaw Massacre where they brought back Sally for no reason mm-hmm. the one time or the other time or the other time. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not really what we were looking for. That's not what this series is about. It's not the Sally Hemming story. No. No. It was silly. Yeah. So, and then Kirsty delivers. And as it turns out, the uh, so the, the first three souls are uh, the women that Trevor had been hooking up with. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the side, the uh, the acupuncturist, the neighbor, and the manager. The yeah, uh, two two of which are characters that he meets in the course of the movie, as far as he knows, because he had not met the acupuncturist ahead of time. I don't think. No, that was somebody he was told to go talk to. Yeah, and the neighbor he had admired from afar, but had not hooked up with. Kind arguably, it was it was vague. Yeah, but uh, and then Brett his co-conspirator because the plan was to kill Kirsty and inherit all the money from the cotton estate. Yeah. Cause sure. apparently her dad and uncle Frank both had a fair amount of cash and she was the sole beneficiary. And Trevor didn't know this as far as he knew, except that apparently he did know this. Well, no real world Trevor knew it real world Trevor, but the Trevor in the movie that we're following yeah. the whole time has forgotten this well, because he doesn't he's remember anything in the movie, which pick your I don't know if we you have got to pick your battles. This is not the, battle. I don't know if we've covered how much they lean on him having amnesia a lot. But that's like, cause we've been talking about all of the continuity errors. Yeah. Trevor doesn't remember anything. Yeah. He knows he had a wife. He knows where his job is. But he like he doesn't remember these characters that he's known for a long time. Doesn't know about the plan. Doesn't know about the inheritance. Doesn't know about the gift. So, yeah. Um, if we hadn't covered it, I just well, I probably should have opened with that. I feel like it's been implied that they've been messing with him the entire time. I guess. I just, like, I, mean, I, don't, I, don't, I don't want to be as sloppy in our narrative as the movie was. Hey. You're more than well welcome to keep insulting our audience. <laughs> I just got an hour and a half of it from a movie. Look, this is you know when my brother got bullied at school, he came home and hit me. Fair. So fair enough. So, uh, so it was the three girls that Trevor hooked up with. Brett, the co-conspirator in the murder of Kirsty Cotton, and then Trevor realizes breathlessly, I'm the fifth soul. And, you know, now we mm-hmm. cut to reality, and uh, 
Oh, oh all of the chains disappear from him instead of being ripped apart. They just go away for this big finale. Well, so well, he pulls the sheet back and he sees that it's his own dead body from the uh, the gunshot wound in the car in the car because the what now? In the, we we see that in re- the real life, uh, Kirsty Kirsty Cotton our quote-unquote heroine from the first two films, has murdered five people to save her own skin. Yeah. Which is really on brand for the Hellraiser movies. You gotta admit. Yeah. But that means that the five people that he's being punished for killing, arguably, in his own mental hell, he didn't actually kill. No. He didn't kill any of them. He had plotted to kill one person who then killed everybody in his life he had a thing with yeah. against her. Yeah. But he is basically burning in hell for the murders she did. No, he's, bur- mean, he's burning in hell. He's me. burning in hell because he got involved with the box. And right, this, yeah. is, this is your life now. Yeah. Uh, but like we, we see that in real life that Kirstie killed all of these people, like, tortured all of them and killed them all with the same revolver, which she then uses on Trevor uh, to make him drive off the road. And then, like, we hear, we see Detective Lang in real life, finally, because apparently uh, Trevor is still semi-cognizant in his dead body and that's where we're finding all of these, you know, Wizard of Oz, and you were there, and you were there at moments. And, uh, Kirsty is explaining to Detective Lang that, oh no, he shot himself. <laughs> In the car. We found this gun. Oh yeah, that's the gun he used to shoot himself while we were driving. Then we went off the bridge. And this is the story that the cops just say, cool, the real world yeah. version, outside of dream logic. Yeah. The real world cops say, yeah, it sounds good. Cool. Uh, well, well, she's also selling him as a serial killer as well. Right. Yes. So it's like he, he was a serial killer, and then yeah. one, that oh, that is himself. the gun he used to kill himself on the road before we went into the river. <laughs> and funny, he's had that for a while. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's we got to end the movie. We got to end the movie, but them some bad cops. Yeah. Yeah, they're bad. And then, but like the cop is nice enough to let Kirsty take the 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 lament configuration back. They found it in the car. Do you know what this is? Like, yeah, that was my anniversary gift from my husband. Oh, I was going to enter it into evidence, <laughs> but here you can have it. Thanks. Uh huh. Thank you so oh. much. Well, I don't know what I do without it. Yeah. And then she wanders off, which they, is not the last shot of the movie. The last shot of the movie is just all the crime scene people puttering around. They're, mm-hmm. they're not making any sort of discoveries. Yeah. They're not doing anything. They're Maybe just, discussing the eel they pulled out of Trevor. They pull, yeah. In the real world, they pull an eel out of Trevor's mouth, which, you know, yeah, he'd been in the river, but what in the fuck river is this? Mm-hmm. And maybe it's an homage to the eel from earlier in the film. Oh, it is. But. Who cares about either side of that if that homage means nothing thematically? Yeah. <laughs> this is the lowest of the, you know, pre we're just holding on to the license movies, I think. I mean, you know, we got two more to go for my, you know, for my viewing. Because yeah. um, I, yeah, fa- I haven't Phase seen... two in the direct-to-video yeah. phase. Yeah. yeah. We got two more. This one, I think, is the worst of the bunch. This was not good. Because don't was... get me wrong. The next one, Deader, is not good either. But there is one has got Kari Wurr. Okay. And we love Kari Wurr. Uh, and two, it has one moment... In a movie that's not particularly scary, it has one moment that disturbed me and haunts me to this day. I'm looking forward to it, right? All right. Just, oof. Yeah, this, this one will haunt me um, until I get go, to the door and forget uh, about it completely. Yeah. I was going to say edibles, but, you know. Hey. What up? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Oof. Hellseeker. And this is three. We got two more to go with uh, Rick Boda. 
Yep. And uh, also, Gary Tunnicliffe is back doing the makeup. I promise this Gary Tunnicliffe will be important later. Mm-hmm. So. I had no complaints on the makeup. Yeah. Oh, yeah, no, the makeup was good. Uh, for, like, we get one scene with new he- with new Cenobites. They looked all right. Yeah. Like, weird little eyeball dude and stitchy face and fat or woman butterball this time. It I guess, like. yeah. And Doug, as always, is looking good and bringing mm-hmm. it. And uh, as Pinhead, it's just this... <laughs> movie was just really boring it was really 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 boring nonsensical but in a bad way yeah uh, it's if the whole movie is a dream and the last five minutes you find out that it's not even a dream that affects anybody at all yeah <laughs> like at least i mean jacob's ladder being the term for this kind of thing yeah. it's his mental journey as he's headed towards the light like mm-hmm. It's about Jacob. It's his whole thing. But when you when you find out what really happened in this movie, it basically negates the hour and a half you watched. He wasn't him even go the through main it. character. He wasn't the, the main character. None of the things that he thinks happened happened. None of the things in his head happened. <laughs> it was literally just an hour and a half distraction away from this other thing that happened. Which would have been a cool movie. Yeah, that could have been a whole story. Can you imagine if like there is a movie where it's like you know, Kersey Cotton is appears to be involved or near a serial killer and like the whole time it looks like it's Trevor is the serial killer and then mm-hmm. at the end it's revealed that Kirsty had been killing them the whole time because like like okay do this movie but really make it look like Trevor is killing these people instead right. of Trevor just being amnesic we're a uh, douchebag guy yeah and then it turns and have Kirsty actually be in the movie apparently uh, Ashley Lawrence Barely remembers the movie. She said that they paid her enough to make a payment for a, ref- a down payment on a refrigerator. Wow. Yeah. Like she wasn't, they weren't even actually going, they, the, 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 I believe the actress that plays Gwen was, was originally supposed to play Kirsty, but then Doug called up Kirsty and said, I think this one might be okay. Why don't you come back? Uh, yeah. I mean, oh, well. she's great in it. She, yeah. looked, she looked amazing in this movie. But and and Doug seemed to be enjoying himself. Yeah. Yeah. He got to wear a wig. Nice. <laughs> yeah. And a goatee. And a goatee. But oof. fun for them, not for us. Mm. All right. Until next week, get out. See you in hell. If you want to interact with us online, you can check us out on Instagram or Twitter at Amityville Show, or you can send us an email at podcastamityville at gmail.com.